Plaza Direct King's Court starts now. St. Louis and all parts, north, east, south, and west. We welcome you in. We welcome you in. This is the Window World King's Court on KevinSlaytonShow.com. I'm Kevin Slayton, and we're glad you're with us on this Friday morning, the Saturday Eve, as it were. And if you haven't built an ark like Noah did, you might want to get started. Here in the Midwest, we are inundated with rain. It has been raining for 24 hours straight, and it's still raining, and it's going to rain for another 12 hours, it seems according to the forecast. So I think the weather god got a little confused and thought today was Good Friday. It's not. It's not for a couple of Fridays, but somehow the confusion reigns, and reigns is the operative word here. It has been raining quite a bit. This is no way to have a birthday. My birthday's tomorrow, and I don't want any more rain. If I wanted to go swimming, I'd go to Florida. I don't need it. I don't want it. I'm tired of it. On the flip side, everything's going to be green, but you're going to need to mow your yard next week sometime. It's a little bit early to be mowing the yard, isn't it? But it is what it is, as they say. A week from now, we start baseball, Major League Baseball, the regular season. And Cardinals play-by-play man Chip Carey, their new play-by-play man, the voice of the team on television, will be joining us today at 8 o'clock the grandson of Harry Carey, the son of Skip Carey. So the Cardinal broadcast booth will be bookending it with Harry Carey years and years ago, and now his grandson Chip, who starts his first year with the Cardinals this year. We'll talk it over with Chip, get some great memories of his granddaddy and his papa. And, of course, he has made memories of his own. Speaking of making memories, last night in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA basketball tournament, how about Gonzaga? 
Once again, Gonzaga hits nearly a midcourt shot, a shot from the logo on the floor at the buzzer to win the game. And they advanced over UCLA. Same thing happened a couple of years ago for Gonzaga, and they went to the national championship game. Will they do it this year? Well, they're going to have UConn in their way, the University of Connecticut, the team that I hate the most, probably in all of college basketball. Don't know exactly why, except when Jim Calhoun was their coach. He was an arrogant, pompous ass. He's not their coach anymore, but they have one of the Hurley brothers as their coach, and he's an arrogant, pompous ass. So I'll be rooting against UConn no matter who they play, but especially Gonzaga. Kansas State out of the Big 12, formerly a rival of Missouri's, advanced last night with an overtime thriller over Michigan State. Tom Izzo exits the tournament. Arkansas didn't even show up in their game, got blown out. And Tennessee did its usual choke act under Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes is one of the great NCAA chokers as a coach, but yet he's worth millions upon millions because people keep hiring him, even though he can't go anywhere. Florida Atlantic conducting the upset in that game. So you've got two of Destiny's darlings that are still dancing, Florida Atlantic and Princeton. Princeton plays tonight. They'll be playing against Creighton. And while you're watching that game, scratch your head and say, boy, that big kid in the middle, 6'11", Ryan Kalkenbrenner of Creighton, looks pretty good. Wonder where he came from. Wonder why Missouri couldn't get him. I'll tell you where he came from, Rosary High School, latest known as Trinity High School. In North County, that's where he came from. The local media did a horrendous job of publicizing this kid's high school career. He was spectacular at Rosary slash Trinity. And Missouri didn't even give him a whisper. Now, why is that, you ask? Well, he's white. And Conzo Martin was the coach. And Conzo Martin didn't want white players. That was clear throughout Conzo Martin's tenure at Missouri. And his successor, Dennis Gates, doesn't seem overly fond of them either. So while the greatest success in the history of Missouri basketball has come with a good mixture of black and white players, the last two coaches seem only interested in black players. When you can let a Ryan Kalkenbrenner get out from under your nose, shame on you. Yuri Collins goes from St. Mary's High School to St. Louis University instead of Missouri, shame on you. By the way, where was Travis Ford on Ryan Kalkenbrenner? So this is why Missouri and St. Louis U can't seem to win. When you let a 6'11 kid, and they're rare, by the way. First of all, they're rare that you find one that tall. Secondly, it's even rarer still that you find one that talented. And he's not one of these wiry guys. He's 230 pounds. And you'll watch him tonight. He's extremely talented. Shot 70% from the field this year. 70%. That is unheard of. In a game when 50% is com- com- considered superlative, he shot 70% and 78% from the free throw line. Most big men can't shoot free throws, but he can. So you let a star get out of your own backyard, shame on Missouri, shame on St. Louis U, and for that matter, shame on Illinois. You should have been all over him too. But congratulations to Creighton. The Bulldogs have him. And they'll play tonight against Princeton. That's going to be a wonderful game to watch. I can't wait for that game. But let's get started with our show today because we've got business to cover. We've got to tell you about our good friends. It's a perfect weekend, by the way, to sit around and shop for cars. That's right. You don't have to get out of your house. You're thinking of a new car, used car, SUV, truck. 
You don't have to get out in the rain over the weekend or waste your Saturday going from dealership to dealership. You can just get online at stl-cars.com and shop about a 1,000 different vehicles, trucks, SUVs, cars, and then pick the one you want. Call 314-309-3633 or text the same number, 314-309-3633. Ask for Don, tell him we sent you, and then tell him the price you want to pay for the vehicle. Then they'll go out and get it for you and bring it to you if you want, or you can go pick it up at their lot, which is right there in Ellisville on Man- off Manchester Road. That's how simple it is. Tell them the car you want. Tell them the price you want to pay. They find it. You get it. And they have a vast network of dealer inventory throughout the country. They got mine, my last one. I have bought three cars from these folks, three SUVs. Last one I bought was from, came up from Memphis. My son's. My son just got one. His car came from Alabama. He got an SUV as well. This is the place to go, stl-cars.com. Make sure you told them we sent you, and all you have to do is call or text 314-309-3633. It's literally that easy, that easy. So if you're interested in girls wrestling, you can probably find a lot of that covered in the local newspaper, but not high school men's basketball or boys' basketball. That's why no one ever heard of Ryan Kalkenbrenner until he got from Rosary High School, Trinity High School, to Creighton. Incredible. I follow sports. I I had never heard of him. How is that possible? Our local media, but, boy, they'll give you some girls' wrestling coverage. After all, why not? Yesterday at uh, in Washington in the hearing room, the TikTok CEO decided he would be like any other liberal in American history and go ahead and lie under oath to Congress. Listen to all the lies he told when he was pressed about TikTok either selling or giving information to the Chinese Communist Party or making it accessible to the Chinese Communist Party where they can access it at any time they want. I have seen no evidence that the Chinese government has access to that data. They have never asked us. We have not provided. Well, you know what? I've I, asked find that, I find that actually preposterous. We don't sell data at, uh, to any data brokers. You don't sell to anyone. We don't sell data to data brokers. I didn't ask you data brokers. Has ByteDance spied on American citizens? I don't think that spying is the right way to describe it. Do ByteDance employees in Beijing have access to American data. We rely on global interoperability, and we have employees in China. So, yes, the Chinese engineers do have access to global data. TikTok has repeatedly chosen the path for more control, more surveillance, and more manipulation. Your platform should be banned. Ban it. Ban it nationally. Christy Noem started it in South Dakota. She banned it. And 30 other states followed her lead. So we're about... uh, 20 or so states shy of getting it done. This guy's such a freaking liar. They should have arrested him on the spot. He's lying under oath. He's a Chinese communist. Put him in jail. That's what they do to one of our people if you ever get caught over there. Put his ass in jail. But, of course, that would be being racist on my part. According to Jamal Bowman, a big-ass black guy from New York, congressman, who decides that if you ban TikTok, you're a racist. Of course you are. Why the hysteria and the panic and the targeting of TikTok? Republicans in particular 
have been sounding the alarm, creating a red scare around China. Let's not be racist towards China and express our xenophobia when it comes to TikTok. Republicans ain't got no swag. That's why they want to ban, ban TikTok. <laughs> Republicans ain't got no swag. That's the problem. And you ain't got no brain. That's your problem. Because Democrats and Republicans alike want TikTok banned, you complete and utter moron. Ain't got no? Why don't you learn yourself a little English while you're at it? You overweight, pompous ass. You bigot. You abject bigot. Ain't got no. Way to, way to learn the kids proper English, Dizzy Dean. Good job. You complete illiterate buffoon. This is the kind of guy, and here's the first black guy that I'm aware of, who is owned by China. Most black people are a lot smarter than white people. They don't allow themselves to be owned by China. But this guy is the exception. He's despicable. He is advocating for the communist government to steal data and, and by virtue of that action, knowing everything about you and what you're doing at any given moment. And Jamal Bowman is all in favor of that. I'll tell you, it has been a long time since I've actually looked to see who New York people send to Washington. But the last few years, it's been outrageous because we've been able to see it. If it isn't Sandy Cortez, it's this buffoon. If it isn't this buffoon, it's the Republican guy who lied about everything in his life. And they still voted him in. Look at the last few mayors they've had. Good grief. Governors. The state of New York is one of the worst places to live in the history of this country. Look at who you send into public office. No wonder you suck at everything. No wonder people are fleeing New York like stepping on an anthill. Can't wait to get the hell out of there. Somebody ought to send this guy a diet and then a brain, and then he might be okay. Might might be. I'm not guaranteeing it. Might be. Josh Hawley, what's the biggest problem with TikTok? How many Communist Chinese Party members can access Americans' user data? And we know the answer to that because whistleblowers have come forward to my office and to other offices and said the answer is virtually unlimited numbers. We know. It doesn't matter where you put the data, by the way. It matters who can access it. And we know that members of the Communist Chinese Party can access Americans' data right now. This, this app is a backdoor for Beijing into our private lives, into our personal security. That's why we need to ban it. Ban it. But we're xenophobic, according to Jamal Bowman. I mentioned he's the first black person I knew that was owned by China. I, I misspoke. I forgot about LeBron James. <laughs> the original black Chinaman. But somehow it's xenophobic to point out that you're a communist if you're sympathetic to communist China. And that's what LeBron James is, and that's what Jamal Bowman are. That's what Joe Wuhan, Willie O'Tella Biden is. Hunter Biden. All of the Bidens. They're all of Chinese descent. They're certainly owned by the Chinese. You want to talk about owned slaves. Once you're owned by the Chinese, you might as well be owned by the mob. In fact, the mob would probably be kinder to you. Just don't cross them. In China, you don't even have to cross them. They just have to think you're up to no good and you're dead.
they don't care. Now, recently we have seen, through bank records, verifiable bank records that James Comer and his committee have gotten a hold of, that show conclusively, not an opinion, not a guess, conclusively have proven that the Bidens received millions of dollars from this Chinese corporation without having done anything in return for the money. So that's public knowledge. So Peter Ducey thought it might be a good idea to ask the little black lesbian, Karine Jean-Pierre, what were the Bidens doing to earn such money? House Oversight says they've got bank records showing a Chinese energy company paying three Biden family members through a third party. What were they paid for? Look, I'm just not going to respond to that from here. Look, we have heard from House Republicans for years and years and years um, how, uh, how the inaccuracies and lies when it comes to this issue. And I don't even know where to begin to even answer that question because, again, it's been lies and lies and inaccuracy for the past uh, couple of years, and I'm just not going to get into it from here. Notice how she always says from here, like she's way above everybody else. I'm talking from here. I don't talk about those issues from here, giving the implication that if she were somewhere else, she might indeed talk about it, but not from here. I'm just not going to address that from here. I'm not going to respond to that from here, but I will respond to it. I'll take this opportunity from here to slander all Republicans. Because for years now, she says, years and years and years, they've been telling inaccuracies and lies upon lies upon lies about this issue. Which lie? Name one. Name one inaccuracy. Name one. Let me tell you who lies, Karine Jean-Pierre. You. Your boss. Your boss's family. All liberals lie. You live a lie. Your boss said he not only had nothing to do with Hunter Biden's business ventures overseas, but didn't even know about them because, in his immortal words, he never even asked his own son about his business dealings. Interesting that your own son would travel to China with you on Air Force Two and your vice president, but you had no conversation as to why Hunter Biden was going there. That's interesting. Now, I have a son, and most people I know have sons, and when they do have sons, they all talk to their sons about their business Hey, how's the work job going? How how sales clients? You getting new business? We're all asking about business because we're interested in our son's careers. But Joe Biden's not. Even though he has called Hunter Biden the smartest person he's ever known, which renders Joe Biden the dumbest person ever, he has no interest in Hunter Biden's business activities. Now, if I had someone that I was very close to, in fact, in this case, my son, that I considered the smartest guy that I'd ever met, I would be picking his brain about his businesses left and right. I want knowledge, and I've got the smartest person I've ever known right here in my own family. I need that knowledge. If I considered my son the smartest person I've ever known, I'd be picking his brain every day. But it's not as though Hunter Biden is some magna cum laude from Princeton or Yale or Harvard, he's an idiot. 
He's a walking, functioning, drug-addicted, alcoholic idiot who lies as he's going to get a drink of water. He's also a criminal, and he should be prosecuted for his criminal behavior. Of course, that's not going to happen. But this little runt, Karine Jean-Pierre, and the arrogance of that lying black lesbian to stand there and say Republicans have been lying for years with inaccuracies about this issue, I'm just not going to address it from here, even though I just did. My, my way of addressing it was to call Republicans liars. There is no bigger fraud than she is. She's a complete fraud. She's a blatant pathological liar. And she's so arrogant as to think that you, little Peter Ducey, sitting down there in a chair in press row, you're not here where I am because I don't address those things from here, from where I sit, way above you. Don't ever expect me to come down to your level. I'm talking to you from here. And I don't address those things from here. She does that every day, by the way, every single day day while she's not busy stammering and stuttering through another lie. I wish Ducey would have said as a follow-up, could you name one lie the Republicans have told about this issue? I would have loved to have heard that response. But I gave up long ago at thinking that people in the media would ask the proper question. And if they do, as Ducey did to start off with, they'll only go, go one deep. Remember, Hunter Biden is not only the smartest person Joe Biden's ever known, but he's also the greatest artist. Eat your heart out, Da Vinci. Eat your heart out, Michelangelo. This is Hunter Biden, dude. The brilliant artist. Where did that uh, art collection go, by the way? Did he just stop painting? (laughs) Is he Van Gogh? Did he get his ear cut off? He just stopped. No more paint-by-number kits were available, I guess. Ted Cruz understands it all. Biden, Wuhan, Willie is just not up to the task. Well, look, unfortunately, we have a president who's not up to the task. He, he is not. His, his mental decline has been precipitous. And the White House is essentially being run by the children. It's being run by a bunch of left-wing activists. You know, I've been astonished. Eleven years ago when I first arrived in the Senate, Joe Biden was vice president. Joe Biden swore me in. Mm-hmm. All of us in the Senate know Joe. The guy we know, I have no idea where that guy is. I think they have the old Joe Biden tied up in the basement of the White House because now he is unfortunately checked out and they've handed the agenda over to the radicals. The people driving the agenda right now are Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and AOC. And and there used to be such a thing as a moderate Democrat. Sadly, mm. today, there aren't any left. They've chased them out of their party. And the country's paying the price with a disastrous foreign policy and economic policy we're seeing right now. I would agree with almost everything Ted Cruz said there. And I know he's trying to be nice and say that the old Biden was somebody we all knew, you know, we all respected or liked or whatever. He didn't use those words. But he indicated that's what he meant. I would disagree with him there. I would say this Biden is every bit the vile, rotten rodent that Joe Biden has always been. He's always hated black people with a passion beyond belief. Remember his own words. 
My kids aren't going to school in a racial jungle when in, in, uh, when busing became an issue. If you ain't if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Don't remember all those words out of his mouth, out of his mouth. The guy who eulogized the grand cyclops of the Ku Klux Klan, calling him a great man and his best friend. That guy's not a racist bigot. Of course he is. But he ensured his stability in the White House and nobody invoking the 25th Amendment at any time by naming Heels Up Harris his vice president. Here she was trying to honor women during women history, talking about the history women have made in history. So during Women's History Month, we celebrate and we honor the women who made history throughout (laughs) history. Like many of you, I have spent the majority of my career fighting to uplift the condition of women and girls in our country, to fight for their health, their safety, and well-being. First of all, it's hilarious when you listen to her say that she has... She's there to honor women who've made history, and they've made history throughout history. (laughs) But she's fought for women her whole life? You have? Where? What have you done? What have you done for women, heels up, except tell every woman out there that you too, little girl, can be vice president if you sleep with powerful men. That's all you have to do. Sleep with powerful men, and it'll pave your road right to the vice presidency, perhaps someday the White House. But keep in mind, don't bother going to school. Sleep with the right guy. That's the message during Women's History Month from Heels Up Paris. By the way, why do we continually have these months? It's Black Black Month or whatever, Black History Month, Women's History Month. When is it going to be White Guy History Month? If everybody else gets a month, so do we. You bigots, you racists, women get one, blacks get one. Do Hispanics get one? I don't know. If they don't, they should be up in arms. How about the Asians? Where's Asian History Month? Indians. I mean, Kamala Harris is an Indian. She said so. She's black. She's an Indian. I assume that if she benefits her, she'll be white as well. That's why she married a white guy. Make sure that she's got the white base covered. Newt Gingrich, what do we know about Heels Up Harris? You know that Kamala Harris is a joke. Uh, Every time you watch her, she's laughing. Every time she does an interview, it's clear she has no idea what she's talking about. Despite every effort to train her, and there have been a lot of efforts to train her, she's not trainable. Uh, This is a person who uh, has zero capacity for learning. She's the best insurance policy that Joe Biden could ever have because nobody is going to want to implement the 25th Amendment, no matter how bad Biden gets. There will always be this thought that without him, we get Kamala Harris, and that ain't going to happen. No, it's not. And that thought is frightening. And Biden's the worst in history, but my God, can you imagine her? She really is just a joke. She's stupid. Hopelessly, pathetically stupid. Stephen Friend is a name you may not recognize. He is an FBI whistleblower. A research assistant found his conversation. He described the January 6th cases that are being tried, hundreds of them, by the way, 
as the FBI's way to make January 6th look like it was actually something dangerous, that this was littered with domestic terrorists all around the country. And his simple solution was, from a legal standpoint, and it's true, all of these cases should have been tried at once. It should be one case that the FBI works. Uh, instead, they elected to open up a different case for every single subject. They made one case in day, 800 to 1,000 cases. Then they decided to spread those cases around to the field as opposed to working from Washington, D.C. on paper. Uh, but in effect, what's actually happening is there's a task force in Washington, D.C. that's giving marching orders to the field. And, and basically, that's given the impression and, and given a statistical back, uh, backing to this narrative that the country's seen that there's this rise in domestic terrorism threat around the country over the last couple of years, when really all the statistics that back that up are coming from the January 6th case. Man, is he spot on. But that's how they do it. See, it's very subtle. The medium is the massage, they taught us from Marshall McLuhan's book back when I was in school. And it is. It's a mind massage. And that's what the FBI is doing here with the liberals' help. They're creating this image that these domestic terrorists are all around the country because all of these people on January 6th were from all over the country. Of course, none of them did anything wrong other than simple misdemeanors. But the legal way to try those cases is all at once. They were all being charged with similar things. And now we've got a latest whistleblower, and this time it's in the Hunter Biden case again. And boy, did the United States government act quickly to muzzle this guy. He has been silenced because how? The United States government arrested him in Cyprus, charged him with being an arms dealer. Miranda Devine, who's always on top of the Hunter Biden scandals, the various ones, knows all about this latest guy. Dr. Gal Luft is the latest one. He is an Israeli energy expert, a professor. Um, he was arrested in Cyprus, as you said, and is still in a Cyprus jail. He's uh, charged uh, apparently with gun running and Farah violations and uh, various things. And he uh, claims that he is innocent and that he's only been arrested to shut him up about what he knows about the Biden family business. And, you know, a lot of his story does check out. He is uh, regarded in uh, his orbit in Washington, D.C. as, uh, you know, he's well regarded. He's a, a legitimate energy expert. Um, he's a former high-ranking officer in the Israeli Defense Force. Um, he has multiple degrees. And uh, he um, also talks about this FBI mole that he claims Hunter Biden used to tip off his Chinese partners that there was an FBI investigation into them. And there is some corroboration of that from the reporting that we've already done from the laptop. So there's another one. This time, Biden and his band of criminals are out ahead of the curve. They're getting this guy silenced before he can speak. Throw him in jail. Unbelievable. You're watching it happen before your very eyes. Two systems of justice, you ask? Yes, of course there are. And it was never more obvious than when a congressman was questioning an FBI guy by the name of Wilcox regarding Hunter Biden's very public crimes that he's committed, all right there on his laptop. Or 73 and a user and is a user of unlawful drugs. Um, you can get between five to 10 years for that. Is that correct? Is that my understanding? 
No, I, be I believe Congress changed the uh, sentence uh, last Congress. Uh, what is that sentence now? Up to 15. Up to 15 years. Uh, why hasn't Hunter Biden been prosecuted for the crime that he committed? I'm not aware of the facts of that case and can't comment on it. Okay. Who do we talk to to see why this uh, case is not being prosecuted? I mean, he said very clearly in his book that he used drugs. He had uh, gun, a gun, at least a gun. Point of order, Mr. Chairman. State point of order. Totally irrelevant and not germane to this proceeding. Uh, he, sir, he's got his he's got his five minutes. Go ahead, continue. Okay, so, <laughs> I, I understand why um, you do not want Mr. Wilcox to answer that question. It's very clear why you don't want because there's a dual system of justice in America. That's what's going on right now, and everybody's talking about it across America. There's two standards of justice that are um, that are going on. Can you imagine that liberal interrupting him and make, uh, making an objection like they're in a courtroom? That's that's not how it works, jackass. What a complete and utter moron. I'm telling you, liberals are just beyond stupid. Listen to Robert Levine, Rachel Levine, Rick Levine, whatever that person, its name is, tell one lie after another about how unfortunate the LGBTQ plus minus times divided by is in this country. The most vulnerable among us continue to suffer, including LGBTQ individuals of color, LGBTQ youth, LGBTQ seniors, and LGBTQ immigrants. You liar. You're just a liar. Every time someone tries to claim to you some group is suffering the most. That's just a lie. And they'll usually preface it by saying, the most vulnerable among us. How many times do you hear that phrase when somebody's about to say that you're a racist? The most vulnerable amongst I got news for Robbie, Rachel, Ricky Levine. We're all pretty vulnerable, thanks to Biden. We're certainly financially vulnerable. So who's more vulnerable, you jackass? Some gay guy or me? By the way, I am because I'm a white male, and that is the targeted uh, person in the Biden regime. There isn't any question about that. We all know it. A policeman was shot the other day by what turns out to be, apparently, a transgender person. And this policeman was in the hospital undergoing surgery, and the police spokeswoman came out to meet the media and was heckled by a tranny friend of this person. We've been led to believe that, that your 29-year-old man is actually a transgender person. Is there any truth for that? I have no idea. Um, I actually knew the person. They are trans, and I ask that they don't be dead named. Thank you. I ask that they don't be dead named. Does anybody know what dead named means? I don't know. I don't follow up with their new lingo. But that's her concern. Here's a guy who has attempted to murder a police officer. Her, her concern is not the police officer who's undergoing life-saving surgery, not the police officer's family, not other police officers who are mourning and in shock over it. Her concern is that you don't call the tranny a tranny. <laughs> if you don't think this country's bonkers, you're not paying attention. The good news is people like her are 
of such a minuscule percentage in this country, though the media treats them as though they're the, they're the majority. No one cares, all right? No one cares about your transgender attempted murderer. He's like any other one. He'll have his day in court. And if he's guilty, I hope he fries. And I don't care what sexy claims to be. I think the most stunning story of all, and this is saying something in this day and age, that I've heard in the last year is that there are two people in the government of Israel who've introduced legislation to ban any mention of Jesus in Israel. And especially punishable if you talk about Jesus to someone who's younger than 18 years of age. Now, you think I'm making this up? The Holy Land now wants no talk of Jesus. Two ultra-Orthodox members of Prime Minister Netanyahu's coalition have introduced a bill that would punish believers for sharing the gospel of Jesus with prison time. United Torah Judaism Knesset members Moshe Gaffney and Yaakov Asher introduced legislation last week making it illegal to share in conversation or produce content online, in print, or by mail. Their explanation of the bill emphasizes a warning to stop Christians in particular. The punishment, one year in prison or two years for sharing with someone under the age of 18. Wow. He did say that one of the guy's names is Yaakov, so that makes sense. What a Yaakov that guy is. Banned talk of Jesus. Well, Netanyahu is not a Christian, but he is very sympathetic to the Christian values and the Christian beliefs. And so he's not going to act on that, even though politically it could cause him some damage. Joe Rosenberg is the editor of Israel News, and he knows what's going on here. Obviously, Jewish people don't agree with Christians, evangelicals or others, about who Jesus is, right? We all know that there's a theological difference, but evangelical Christians and and other Christians have been so supportive of Israel and the Jewish people. So to silence, to muzzle and gag even Israelis like myself and others to say, you can't talk to another person about your faith and why you believe it, that is terrible. That is not freedom. No, it's not. It's just especially despicable when it happens in Israel, the land where Jesus was born, the land where Jesus grew up, the land where Jesus died, all of the holy land spots of great importance to Christianity, they want you to be Muslim. Now, I don't care if it was Muslim conversation. If you think you're a free country, Israel... You don't pull that stunt. Christianity, Muslim. What if we decided to ban the Jewish religion here in the United States? Should we ban it? Do you think the people in Israel would be pissed off about it? Guarantee it. Orthodox Jews, you're banned here in the United States. You can't even mention your background to anyone, especially someone under 18, or we'll throw you in the slammer. It's sickening. Absolutely sickening. And then you heard this uh, Cato somebody other uh, who's 
a black man appointed or nominated, I should say, by Biden to the federal bench. When asked about a Brady motion by Senator Kennedy, he couldn't answer what a Brady motion was. The most basic motion in law, it is a motion to protect a defendant from exculpatory evidence the prosecutor has and tries to hide. It's pretty simple. Ned Ryan of America First weighs in on this being the problem when you hire from the diversity philosophy. First, they are diversity hires. They're hoping to skate by on their skin or gender or sexual preferences. But it really does highlight that the Biden administration, whoever's actually running it, is putting up activists masquerading as judges because the whole point is to get more votes to rubber stamp the left's social and political agenda. But even more so, think about progressives. They've always viewed the Constitution and the law as obstacles to be avoided, but even more so maybe dismantled. So why would you even bother knowing about it? Because you're not going to pay attention to them anyway. And the whole point of progressivism from day one and until today is to, bend, to, to dismantle the original intent of the Constitution, separation of powers and all these other things that were put in place by our founders. They don't care about them. They don't want them. So why should you bother with them? Because you're never going to implement them because they're more a series of suggestions that you're trying to avoid. I've never heard it put so well. Carpe diem to Ned Ryan. That's what it is. Progressives don't care about the Constitution. That's why they trample on it. It's just a nuisance. Get out of our way. Bobby is up. Hello, Bobby. I hear some harmonica playing in the background. Oh, my God. Hey, yeah, it's only 530 in the morning here, Kev. You got it up and going. Your neighbor's going to say, hey, knock it off. Yeah, and Joanne wants to say hi to you. Hello, Joanne. Hi, knock it off. <laughs> hey Kev, you know what day it is? Uh, I can't play it tomorrow for you, but uh, I wanted to wish you happy um, White March Month too. Remember, I told you I proclaimed that. Oh, that's right. I do remember that. So we have been starting a, a little uh, thing up here in Phoenix about that. I like that. And I wanted to tell you too. You know, I had my hip replaced, and um, I'm going out to play my first 18. That a boy. That's the about way to do I, it. I know. I know you got a, a busy show, and uh, I can't wait to hear Chip. I think he really is doing a great job already. Yeah, he's he's going to be great. He's going to be fun for the Cardinal fans, I guarantee it. Well, I want to do a little special thing for you that I've been doing for the last 10 years, and uh, I want to do this for you. The stage is. is yours, Bobby. million times DM to you. That's that's spectacular and really meaningful to me, as you well know. I got goosebumps too, Kev, every time I play it. I really did. That is so neat. I mean, I, I think I think if so, if that means so much to me to have someone think that way of me, that I, I just, I, I can't be more grateful. Oh my God. You know what? And uh, we have some of the same friends and uh, I love them guys to death. A shout-out to Teddy and Rick Wagner. They're listening, I'm sure. I know they are. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, Kevin, I also wanted to uh, say, you know, you heard what's going on with Carrie out here now, right, with Carrie Lakes? Yeah, she got a judge to rule in her favor on one item, but not on others, but that's okay because the one item was the big one. Exactly. Does that mean can she take it all the way to the Supreme Court now? 
Well, it has to be adjudicated at the level she's at now, and then oh, she simply appeals it through the various levels of the court if she loses. Okay. I hope I wish, sure wish her well. You know, she uh, she's really good. And, and um, did you hear something about uh, Katie Hobbs uh, getting paid by the cartels? I did hear some things about that. Talk about disturbing. I really think yeah. that Carrie Lake is going to prevail on this, and I, I can promise you, and you probably know this too, she will not give up. Oh, there's no doubt about it. She's the she's the um, she's is the white equivalent to the mulatto in uh, the vice presidency. She is the female equivalent to Donald Trump. That's what she is. Yeah. No, no I mean, I mean, Katie Hobbs is the white. Mulatto. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I thought you were talking about Carrie. Oh, vice presidency. She's a dumb butt. Well, she's she's an idiot, but she's also more dangerous than Harris because she's running an entire state if she gets to be left in charge. Exactly. And the other one is, you know, our secretary of state only lost by 500 and something votes. And there's going to be a recount on that one. They're going to they're going to have to do that one over. I think it's by Arizona state law. Well, they need to get with it. I mean, the election was a long time ago. I know. I know. <laughs> Good grief. Let's just change our old election laws back again. You know, and one day, like if, like you said, if uh, if a socialist France can do it, I mean, the U.S. can do it. Exactly. You know? Hell, I'll, I'll volunteer to vote and count some ballots. Exactly. All right, Cap, you take care. Knock him straight today, Bobby. Have fun on that golf course. Okay, bud. Carpe diem. Carpe diem to you. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. See you, Kev. Bye-bye. That, was, that was very nice. Very nice. Chip Carey will be along here in just a little bit, but I wanted to um, – Continue on the thread of the, the the thread of this. In this country, I ask this almost every day now. Where do we live? What country do we live in? So, Stephen Miller, maybe you can help me out. We are now living in a post-constitution, post-truth era, where progressive Soros-backed prosecutors will decide for themselves who is free and who is not, who goes to jail and who doesn't, who can speak freely, who cannot speak freely, who is allowed to exist and do business in this country and who must be crushed into the earth and ultimately destroyed. And if we allow, if we allow our legal system to become weaponized in this way, then all of our freedoms exist solely on the sufferance of whichever prosecutor is in charge wherever we live. Carpe diem, Stephen Miller. Boy, that's frightening, isn't it? But I think we all agree that it's true, right? Frightening, scary, you name it. But that's how that's what they want. They want this to be a country where they don't have to pay attention to laws or the Constitution. They've never been interested in that. I mean, we all know that. But they want this to be this strangely bizarre country where they can appoint these prosecutors, get them elected, and then destroy us. And that's really what it's all about. Sad, isn't it? A once great country, the greatest country on earth, has fallen victim to these people. Shouldn't be allowed. But it is. Christy Noem was the first governor to ban TikTok. She's also the first governor now, as of yesterday, to have successfully banned any business 
by any businesses in the state of South Dakota with China. Carpe diem, Christy Noam. How did you do it? I, I brought an executive order months ago to ban state contracts and telecommunication uh, contacts within the state. That's We got that codified into law, signed it yesterday, that now uh, no evil foreign government will be able to gain revenue from business with the state of South Dakota. I hope other states will follow that as well. And I brought legislation that would keep China from buying our land here. Uh, so I'm hopeful that we'll continue to see progress on that. Listen, the only reason that we feel like we have to be so aggressive is because our federal government and our president are failing. They are endangering the American people. They are weak. And so governors have a responsibility, a, a duty to protect our people. And that's why you see us getting so engaged on these foreign policy issues. Carpe diem, Christy Noam. Man, South Dakota has it rocking. Isn't it amazing? Texas, Florida, South Dakota, all the Republican governors have their states rocking and rolling economically and in every other way, and they're banning China. Get the hell out of here, you communist bastards. We don't want you. Kevin's up. Good morning, Kevin. We interrupt this program for this special additional verse of Kevin Slayton Happy Birthday song. Oh, an additional may verse? The dear, yes. May the dear Lord bless you. May the dear Lord bless you. May the dear Lord bless Kevin Slayton. May the dear Lord bless you. Carpe diem to the dear Lord. <laughs> my mom called me. Every year on my birthday, I think I told you this before, and her and my dad always sang me happy birthday, but she always sang me the second verse. I love that. She was gone. That's absolutely fantastic. Nice. It's so nice that you would think of me that way. That is really heartwarming. Well, we need you out there, Kevin. <laughs> so uh, we want the dear Lord to continue to bless you and uh, maybe get you some new internet internet one of these days. Yeah. Well, we're close to doing that. So we're, we're very close yeah. to making that change. Uh, so that should, yep. be, that should be coming soon to a theater near you. Hey, yep. Um, um, do you know a, a local uh, guy on the radio by the name of Nate Lucas? I do. So yesterday I happened to catch another uh, talk show uh, uh, that I listened to once in a while, and he was uh, he does a little segment on there, and he he uh, he gave you a shout out yesterday, or the, I think it was the day before. Uh, did he? What he did Nate say? I've been on Nate's show as a guest several times. He's a great guy. I think he has a very bright future if he stays in this business. Well, they were uh, talking about you know different people uh, on 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 the radio and TV, and he gave a shout out to you, saying that it was a shame that you're not on radio or TV in St. Louis or even nationwide. And I thought it was great that he gave you a shout out. Well, that's very nice. But of course, I am on, and I'm on right here, and I'm on. All across the world, as, as I said, we rank in the top 5%. But people think of it as traditional radio when it's nonsense in this day and age. Everything has gone to online. That's the yeah, place it, to be. And I, and I agree with you, but more people just need to figure that out. But it was just nice of him to give you a shout-out because I was listening and I heard him say your name. like, whoa, that was good. Yeah, <laughs> so, Nate's a good guy. And as I said, very talented and very knowledgeable and not afraid to speak his mind. That's so rare in this town. Well, there's only been one person in the history of this town that's ever done it, and that's me. And that's not a pat yep. on my back. That's a shot at the rest of the cowards. Yep, yep. Hey, and by the way, you uh, asked earlier about dead naming. I, I know what that means. Yeah, I know what it means now, too. My uh, okay. uh, my um, research assistant sent me a quick text to let me know what it means. Here's how absurd it is, uh, if, if this is the same definition you have. It's when you use the tranny's old name or refer to them by their sex at birth before they transition. So if if you're a, a man and you now claim that you're a woman, if I call you a man, I've dead named you. <laughs> yeah, Only so these liberal called, psychopaths could keep coming up with new words for the, well, hopefully they're not in the dictionary. 
yeah, it, it would be if you called Rachel Levine Ralph or Rick or whatever yeah. his name is. Well, that's what I called <laughs> so, him. It so I dead named him. So I guess they, I guess when they transition, they're considering their old self dead is what they're trying to say there. So, I guess if you but, refer to Muhammad Ali as Cassius Clay, you're dead naming him. Yep. Yep. Hey, I sent you an According email to too about uh, these transgender bathrooms again uh, over here in Illinois. It was raising itself up again in uh, in Waterloo, Illinois. I don't know if you saw that story. No. Yeah, they uh, and, and it's popping up in different places in Illinois because they're uh, trying to force these schools to have uh, or to let uh, transgender students use whatever bathroom they decide they want to use on any particular day. And if I got the story right, they, there was a bunch of students that. Uh, protested against it and they were told well they can use the bathroom in the nurse's office if they didn't want to go into a bathroom you know with a transgender student and if i got the story right i think it was like 37 students lined up to use the nurse's bathroom or something beautiful (laughs) but shouldn't the couldn't the trans student use the nurse's bathroom too i mean come on folks it's just it's just ridiculous and no the the, the, um, the supposed trans person should use the bathroom of whatever genitalia they possess yeah, that's that's what a lot of parents came to the school board meeting and they were talking about. There was a they had a prayer uh, time and they protested it. And uh, it, it's just it's just getting out of out of hand. Uh, it, it it really is. It's been out of hand for a sh- long time now. That's the sad yep. part. Yep. And I know you got a busy, busy show today. I'm looking forward to hearing Chip, too. But maybe uh, on Monday or next week, uh, uh, there, did you see that the Moderna CEO was on Capitol Hill being grilled the other day? Yeah. And what he had to say? Yep. We'll always have stuff like that. You can count on that. Yep. All right, yeah, Kevin, we got to run. Hit that because that was a pretty good story, too. All Kevin, right. God bless you again on your birthday. Have fun tomorrow. I hope the weather clears up and you can go play 18 or whatever you decide to do on your birthday. You do it, brother. Well, we greatly appreciate that. Thanks for the call. God bless you, brother. Bye now. God bless you, too. Bye. And we appreciate that. Other verse of happy birthday. That's been a good morning so far. Well, it's going to get better because Chip Carey is going to join us, but I'm going to take a quick break now, and then we'll get ready for Chip. Uh, and we'll have some other stuff on the other side of Chip as well. So we'll be right back right here in the Window World, King's Court, on KevinSlaytonShow.com. Yankee Doodle Dandy. 
Yankee Doodle do or die. A real live nephew of my Uncle Sam, born on the 4th of July. I've got a Yankee Doodle sweetheart. She's my Yankee Doodle joy. Yankee Doodle came to London just to ride the ponies. I am that Yankee Doodle boy. Welcome back in. Kevin Slayton with you on this rainy Friday, Saturday Eve in the Midwest. We welcome you to our wonderful Window World Kings Court right here on KevinSlaytonShow.com. Well, I can tell you this. When it rains like this, I think always of the windows. And if you do too, Window World is a place to go because Window World can give you the best windows in the window business. Now, I know that because I have their windows. I know that because I've known people who've gotten their windows. I know that because I've heard from listeners who've gotten their windows. 314-993-1800 gets you a free in-home estimate from Window World. They'll come out and prove to you how they're simply the best for less. 314-993-1800. You'll be getting the preferred window of the Blues, the official window of the Kansas City Chiefs, the Super Bowl champs. I always say, Those two organizations don't just get into business with anybody. They thoroughly vet that company, and then they decide whether they'll get into business with them. And with Window World, it's a no-brainer. They give you a lifetime warranty. covers all parts, glass, breakage, and labor. And they use double-strength glass in their product. No one else does. Price-wise, a friend of mine ordered a ton of windows from Window World. He uh, priced them at the competition. Window World costs a third of what the competition costs for the same window. Wow. They also offer you 18 months same as cash financing with approved credit. That's only at Window World. 314-993-1800. 314 
993-1800. So um, you can't beat that. That that price thing, it always blows me away when I hear about that. I think, my gosh, it is that big of a difference. Mm-mm-mm. But I love it because Window World Windows lowered my utility bills, too. I pay less because it keeps the warm air in right now, and the cool air stays out. It keeps the hot uh, the uh, cold air in in the summer for my air conditioner and doesn't let the hot air in, and my AC and my furnace don't run 24-7. So it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing in the neighborhood. So we wait Chip Carey, and uh, this is a great uh, hire by the Cardinals, I believe. And uh, when I first heard it, I guess when I first heard that they were looking, I thought to myself, I wonder who they'll come up with. And I didn't think of Chip because I felt he was entrenched with the Braves, and I didn't actually didn't know his feelings about whether he wanted to come home to St. Louis or not. But clearly he did. And it's wonderful that the Cardinals were able to strike a deal with him because it really is – the best place they could have gone given the trans, uh, the um, the events of what happened. And, you know, we wish and pray for Dan McLaughlin every day. Pray for everybody who is fighting something. And so when this happened, I thought, what are they going to do? Who are they going to go to? They certainly can't put one of the clowns that they have on, like Edmonds or Brad Thompson or someone like that, or Rick Horton. My gosh, they wouldn't put Rick Horton in there, would they? So they decided that they would go find the best, the Cardinals did, and that was a great move and a great decision, and I think they got the best. There's a lot of really good play-by-play guys out there still. They're getting less and less in the numbers because most of the great ones are getting older, and they won't put up with the crap that they have to put up with. They're not going to constantly be a butt kisser for the ball club. That's what the most ball clubs want now. They don't want someone who describes the action as it is, as Harry Carey always did, or as Jack Buck always did. They want someone who will do do the promotion of the ball club. Now, I get that part because that's part of your job. But it's also part of your job to be honest. And when you describe the ball game and what's going on in the field, that's part of your job. In fact, I would say the most important part of your job because when you go to promote the ball club at various events, you've you've got to have some credibility. You can't just be the cardinal shill. And so when you broadcast the games with honesty and integrity, then people appreciate that. I really believe they do. That's how Jack Buck did it for his entire career. It's how Chip Carey's grandfather, Harry, did it. It's how his dad, Skip, did it. So, in many ways, we're very fortunate uh, if you can bounce back from a a thing that happened that you'd rather wouldn't have happened and bounce back with someone of this caliber, then you've been blessed, and the Cardinals know they're blessed. And the regular season's going to get underway next week. It's not like Chip hasn't been working until then. He's been doing the exhibition games. problem with exhibition games, and I would feel this way as a broadcaster, it's very difficult to get passionate about exhibition games. Half the time, the squad is split up. You're not even, do, you, you know, the best players aren't even playing. Paul Goldsmith and Nolan Arenado were absent from the team for most of spring training playing in the WBC. And so then you went with a host of minor leaguers and some regular players, some guys trying to bounce back from injury, pitchers that you've never known pitching an inning or two. It makes it a little difficult. 
But then again, I always say this too. If the toughest part of your job is broadcasting a game of minor leaguers from Florida in the middle of winter, it's not that tough of a gig. (laughs) Most people would take that. Most people would take that. Now, the real question facing the Cardinals and a lot of baseball teams as we await Chip's call is the financial status of the people that hold the broadcast rights. In the Cardinals' case, Bally Sports. They filed for bankruptcy just a week or so ago. They say, they've issued a statement that they say that all of the 16 or so teams that they have the rights to will not miss a beat. All the games will still be televised. But I wonder what this restructuring is going to entail. Keep in mind the Cardinals own 30% of Bally's. They bought into it. And so they're involved in the bankruptcy, I'm sure, unless they have some sort of clause that exonerates them. And perhaps knowing that this was coming is the reason the Cardinals didn't do much in the offseason. They signed one player of any consequence, and that's Wilson Contreras. How much ripple effect will these financial problems of these broadcasters have on the game? For instance, in Houston, Comcast was their carrier. Jim Crane, the the owner, told me that they've separated from them and the Astros are going to take the games in-house, produce them themselves, and sell them themselves. And his feeling was that model will make more money for the ball club than the other one would. And knowing his history of anything he touches turning to gold, I would bet on Jim, Jim Crane and the Astros to accomplish exactly that. It makes me think the Cardinals might be better served if they took their games in-house, produced them themselves, sold them themselves. I mean, after all, how difficult is it to sell Cardinal baseball in St. Louis or the surrounding areas? It's not that hard. I mean, if you're an ad salesman or a broadcast salesman or an executive, the dream job is to sell Cardinal baseball, isn't it? I'm wondering if you ever get told no. I guess if you overprice it, you would. But otherwise, I don't think anybody turns you down. Crazy stuff. But that's the way it's always gone in St. Louis anyway. Other towns have a tougher time marketing the team. Houston probably won't. After all, they've been in four World Series in the last six years, winning last year's World Series. They're the defending champs. Always seems that bad things happen to defending champs, doesn't it? Jose Altuve their future Hall of Fame second baseman, breaking his thumb in the WBC, out for at least four to six weeks, had surgery on it. Everybody in Houston's all excited about starting the season, defending their title, and they have to do so without one of their best players. But optimism reigns supreme everywhere in every baseball city this time of year because your team is tied for first place. No matter who your team is, You could even be in Cincinnati, and your team is tied for first place for a day or so. It's not going to be tied for very long. (laughs) That we know for certain. And there are other cities like that where it applies as well. So hopefully, some of the cities that have struggled for years will turn it around. Remember, It wasn't that long ago when Jim Crane bought the Astros, they were losing 100 games a year. And now they're winning 100 games a year. As I said, four of the last six World Series they've been in, six consecutive American League Championship Series, any team can turn it around. The teams that struggle all the time, like the Pirates 
and now the Reds, both in the Cardinals division, by the way, will always use the excuse, well, we're not major market teams, so we don't get the same amount of revenue. Well, Houston's not a major market team either. St. Louis certainly isn't. I mean, that's just the way it is. So um, it's absolutely crazy. All right, we've got a mix up here, so let me call, call Chip now. And we'll get him on here. Do, 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 do. Bum, ba-dum, bum, 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 bum. I know this is great radio when I hum while I'm dialing. There we go. All righty. It's a ringing. Hello. Chip. Is this Chip? It's, Ke- it's Kevin Slate, it Chip. Hello, Chip. Can you hear me? I can. Who's this? Kevin Slayton. Hey, Kevin. How are you, man? I'm great. How you doing? Sorry about the mix-up on the phone. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, I called it, said it, uh, the number's not in service or won't go through. So Interesting. I'm glad we were able to connect. Yeah, okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad we were able to connect, too. And we're glad to welcome you on the show, and we're glad to welcome you to St. Louis, of course. It's not a, Thanks, strange, it's not a strange place for you. I have, to, I, have no. to con- I have to confess, when I saw what happened... Uh, in the Cardinal situation, I talked to Bill DeWitt the third, and I said, you know, I said, I might love to toss my hat in the ring. And he said, okay, consider it in. And then when I heard that they hired you, I called Bill and I said, I don't often say this, but you picked the right guy. And I, and I, <laughs> I, I, I said, well, you, nice. you couldn't have come up with a better choice than to continue the long tradition of the Carey family doing Cardinal baseball. Congratulations. Well, well, thanks, man. You're very nice. And as you said, uh, the circumstance, I'm, look, I'm, I'm thrilled for me and my family and I'm thrilled to be where I am. And, and, uh, at this stage of my life and career to know this will be the last stop. Uh, but really sad about the way it happened. I mean, look, we all know Dan and, and, and care for him deeply. And, and, and that's the, that's the hardest part of it. <laughs> so, um, I hope he hope he gets the help he needs. I hope he gets better, and I hope he gets back behind a microphone sometime soon. I'm going to guess, and I, I echo those those comments. I'm going to guess, Chip, that you probably wouldn't have left the Braves except for this job. Am I wrong or right? Correct. No, that's right. Uh, you know, St. Louis is home, and I made it clear to the people in Atlanta that I'd love to retire there. Um, you know, they, the the uh, Braves organization, the fans, my partners, the people I worked with every day in the TV truck were beyond awesome to me. It's geographically a lot closer to to where I live. But it just got harder and harder to keep trying to stay there. And uh, at this stage, as I said in my life, I, I want to go somewhere where I feel like I'm truly a part of a family and a uh, part of a great broadcast team. And as you mentioned, you know, my, my St. Louis ties notwithstanding, uh, it always felt comfortable coming there as a visiting broadcaster. When you see pictures of your dad and your grandfather around the ballpark and you practically uh, grew up idolizing Cardinals baseball, um, you know, it never really felt like a visiting uh, team broadcast assignment. It always felt like in many ways it was home. And as you know, Kevin, the, the old saying in life is you can leave St. Louis, but St. Louis never leaves you, and that's what made this uh, seem like such a comfortable and perfect fit. That's neat. I think it is a great fit, as I told Bill, and, and I think Cardinal fans feel the same way. It's somewhat for guys of a, of a certain age. We listen to your grandfather. We listen to your dad as well, and so it is coming full circle to have you do the games. And I'm just I'm I'm thrilled for you. I'm thrilled for Cardinal fans because the excitement that you bring to the game is very similar to your dad and your grandfather. And in some cities, that's not present. Yeah, well, that's a very nice compliment. Uh, look, I, my former bosses said that my biggest strength is when the ball's in play and when the moment's big, that's when, when I'm at my best. And, and I'll leave that for them to make that determination. But 
if you think about it, that's that's the uh, soundtrack of memories that people remember. David Freeze's home run, Ozzy Smith, uh, you know, uh, unbelievable Jack Buck, you know, Mark McGuire doing what he did. It's not when you fill time in the middle of in, uh, middle innings of a, a July sixth game in Pittsburgh, uh, but it's those big moments that hopefully resonate with people over this over the uh, the space of time and over the, the number of seasons that we end up doing these games. You know, Harry was all about fun and having a great time, and you know his malaprops notwithstanding. Uh, in his day, he and Jack Buck were the best broadcasters in the game. Uh, you know, my dad was a little more reserved, but when the moment was big, he knew what to say and how to say it, and more importantly, when to shut up because <laughs> on TV you need to do that. And I'd like to think that I've borrowed a little bit of both of those those uh, traits from both of them. I mean, the DNA and and all of that is is uh, obviously present. But um, you know, that's that's what I really like doing. I love having fun. I love talking about the game. I love talking about the history of the game. I love setting up the big moments. And uh, when I was allowed to do that in Atlanta, it was a lot of fun. And when it wasn't, it was really really hard to to go to work every day. Yeah, I was talking about. Um how every team, their hope springs eternal, obviously, at this time of year because everybody's tied for first place. And even if you're in Pittsburgh or in Cincinnati, teams that haven't had success recently, you can always look to the Astros. Uh, Jim Crane's a personal friend of mine from St. Louis, and when he bought that team, they were losing 100 games a year. And now right. here, and here, nobody was watching them. Right? Right, nobody was there. The stadium was empty. And here they are, four out of the last six World Series. So you can turn it around with good management and, and proper decisions. No, uh, no question. Uh, and look, at the end of the day, we're still selling the game. Uh, there will be days, I hate to admit, where we go to Cincinnati and the Reds beat us. Uh, you still have an obligation to talk about the players and the game and the history and all of that kind of stuff. And ultimately, I believe our job is very simple. You inform and you entertain people and you do the best that you can because sponsors have a, a stake in it. You don't want people turning the channel in the third inning of a, of a bad <laughs> game. They want, want them to stick around as long as they can and, and buy the products, right? Uh, when you go to the uh, opposing cities, uh, it's fun to talk to the other management. It's fun to talk to the other broadcasters and see those other great players because uh, I do believe that we as a broadcast team obviously have an obligation to the Cardinals. I want them to win every single game they play. We also have an obligation to try to sell our game. You don't know uh, what you say or a, a little factoid that you drop out that might turn on some little kid who's into the same thing. It might switch off the video game and pick up a baseball glove and go play. And I feel a very, very strong responsibility to that. And as I said, when we're allowed to do that, I think that's uh, the majesty of our sport. It is a generational game. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the way it's handed down from, from old guys like me to younger guys like my children is what makes it so special. And hopefully they will continue to develop and grow and nurture the passion that our families obviously had since 1945 in Major League Baseball. It seems hard, as we talk with Chip Carey, the new television voice of the Cardinals, to, to describe you as longtime play-by-play voice of the Braves, as young as you are, but but you were with the Braves for 20 years. Yeah, uh, it seems like yesterday. Uh, you know, my first job, uh, big league job, was with the Orlando Magic. I was 24 years old in 1989 and saw them grow from an expansion team into an NBA powerhouse and then went from there to uh, Seattle. I was doing minor league baseball and Fox stuff in uh, Orlando. Uh, then went to the Cubs and then uh, followed um, you know, my dad back home to Atlanta before he passed away and then uh, left the Braves, obviously, after this year. I've been doing it a long time. This will be my 33rd year doing Major League Baseball games. I'm only 58, and I've really been blessed and had wonderful teammates who propelled me along. And all I can say is this. Thank God they didn't have Facebook or Twitter when I first started because <laughs> I'd probably be selling Buicks. Um, you know, my first job was with the Magic at 24. I knew nothing about basketball per se. I had great partners and teammates who guided me along. 
that was a team that won 15 games that year, and I was worse than the team. Um, <laughs> but I've had a lot of people, uh, you know, in my corner. I've worked hard, and I figured things out. And uh, as I said, I'm really, really happy and delighted that 32 years after the Cardinals first offered me this opportunity, I was uh, wise enough to take it. And all that means is I'm getting older, and I'm a really, really slow learner. But uh, <laughs> can't wait to get started for real on the 30th. It's going to be fun next week. When I when I think of your lineage in the baseball broadcasting booth, I think that baseball, maybe more than other sports, a lot of the play-by-play guys can be defined as they go through their careers by a specific call or a specific phrase. The moment, as you described it, uh, Jack Buck with uh, Kirk Gibson's World Series home run, I thought was the greatest call I've ever heard. I don't believe what I just saw. And and, yeah. your, and your dad had, or your grandfather had so many, and your dad had so many, and uh, th- those moments come, they don't come scripted, though, do they, Chip? They don't. Uh, you know, and people ask me all the time, do you have a favorite call? I really don't. I just remember my first year in Atlanta when I came from Chicago, opening day against the Cubs, Jason Hayward, who, like Jordan Walker, was this hugely touted rookie who made the team. Uh, the first major league swing, uh, I mean, the Cubs had scored three or four runs in the first inning. The Braves came back in the bottom half. And Jason Hayward's first swing as a major league player, it's a three-run homer. And I just go, come out of my chair and come unglued and just said, welcome to the show. Uh, that, that was a call that people in Atlanta liked. I, I like I it. Chipper Jones' last major league home run off Jonathan Tapelbon. Um, you know, Ubaldo Jimenez pitching for Colorado in Atlanta threw a no hitter and it just popped out. It's a Rocky Mountain high for Ubaldo Jimenez. Um, you know, you're right. This stuff isn't scripted. Uh, I think we all have our personal bags of BS that we reach into from time <laughs> to time. And, uh, you know, whatever comes out, comes out. But, uh, the beauty of our sport, I think, uh, on television especially, is that we have a big advantage over the radio guys and that the pictures and the sounds of the crowd are the greatest soundtrack. All we try to do is narrate it, put a, uh, an exclamation point, and then get out of the way and let the moment speak for itself as much as we can. And, look, one of the criticisms I had in Atlanta was some felt I talked too much. We all talk too much on TV. It's part of the nature of what we do because we're we're communicators by trade. Uh, but when those magical moments happen and uh, the broadcasters are smart enough to put their ego aside and let the moment take center stage and let the fans uh, just uh, that rolling thunder of a cacophonous voice in a 45,000 seat ballpark do its thing. That's when baseball and TV and broadcasting is really magical, and hopefully we'll have a, a bunch of those moments together this year. Your grandfather, of course, had the signature "Holy Cow." Uh, the, the, a lot of guys don't have a signature phrase or signature call anymore. It, it was always fun growing up, and you knew when he said "Holy Cow," something wild had happened. And, sure. and, 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 you're, and you're right; he had so much fun broadcasting the games, whether he was here, whether he was with the White Sox, whether he was with the Cubs, and and that fun followed him through the game. Is it possible to have the kind of fun your grandfather had again in this day and age? I think it's really hard. Uh, I think there is such a sensitivity to fun. <laughs> sadly, I hate to say it. <laughs> You're right. In, in many places, including sadly at times where I was, uh, it's so corporate that that um, you know they don't want that kind of personality. They don't want the the broadcasters to inject themselves into the show. Look, at the end of the day, we're guests in people's homes, Kevin. You know this. You've been in the industry forever. When you are invited into someone's home, they're inviting you. They're not inviting a facsimile of you. They don't want you to not be all in in that moment. And I think uh, you're doing yourself and your audience and the game itself a disservice if you're not you're, you're, if you're not yourself, if you're not genuine. 
Uh, I, I've said many times to people, I'm not going to be Harry Carey. Yeah, holy cow, I might pop out every now and then just for fun. <laughs> I'm not going to be Skip Carey. I, you know, my dad was my hero, and 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 uh, you know, man, I'm grateful in so many ways to finally get to know as an adult. But I'm very much my own person, and I've been very clear that that uh, you know, I'm not going to try to be a cheap facsimile of either either one of those people. Uh, and we, I know that there's going to be a segment of people that hate me because they hated Harry or they hated my dad, or they're going to love me no matter what I do because, uh, you know, the family history and all the wonderful things that you've been kind enough to talk about. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be 100% genuinely me. And you're either going to like that or you're going to hate it, but you're not going to be able to say I'm a phony. And, and that's, that's served me, I think, very, very well. Uh, do I have a catchphrase? No. Uh, I just love when the ball's in play and when, when crazy stuff happens, that's, that's when I really like to shine and have fun and play with the language and, and then get out of the way. And I must say working with Brad and Jim so far in spring training has been great. They've been fantastic partners. I really think we've got uh, great chemistry going. And, uh, as I said, uh, we're a little tired of seeing the Marlins in spring training, <laughs> but, uh, we're looking forward to opening day against Toronto when the games matter. I know that you are your own person and you have your own distinctive style as we talk with Chip Carey, the new voice of the Cardinals. How difficult is it for you, though, because it would be for me growing up in St. Louis, listening to your grandfather, your father, and Jack Buck, to not incorporate some of that in? It's hard not to try to mimic them sometimes. Yeah, well, I, that's what I said before is, you know, it's it's not so much trying. I, I think people have said, you know, sometimes you sound like your dad. Sometimes you sound like your grandfather. Believe me, that is not intentional, but I can't hide. I can't run away. From no, it's genetics, a compliment, you know? too. Right, right. I mean, it's I mean, there are times where Joe has sounded like Jack Buck, and I think that's the ultimate compliment. Jack was tremendous. Joe's tremendous. And I think it takes great courage of Joe and Tom Brenneman and Kenny Albert to go out and do the games their way. After all, look, you know, we, we heard the nepotism thing for so long that it's almost laughable. Uh, all those names that I mentioned have gone on and forged terrific careers for themselves and done it on their own, uh, despite the uh, the burden, if you will, of, of trying to follow in the footsteps <laughs> of their much more accomplished parents. Uh, but, you know, I, I, as I said, I don't try to sound like anybody but me. And if there are times where it sounds like somebody else, it's going to happen. Uh, I do great impersonations of both my dad and my grandfather. I'm working on John Rooney, by the way. I'm starting to get some of his stylistic stuff down. So, um, you know, I, I do it as an homage. I do it as fun and, and try to keep it light. And as I said before, um, you know, I would never overuse it. But if there's a moment that, that, that uh, you know, punctuates something and, and, and uh, uh, makes people laugh and think of the good old days, I'll have to say, Gramps, i got to borrow it. Holy cow. And, and, and let it rip. I think people would like that. I think people would love it. Trust me, I, I I know speaking for myself, I would love it just to hear from, from time to time uh, because it's just it does remind you of some really neat nostalgia uh, as we think of Cardinal baseball in those same ways. What kind of stories do you have that you could share with us about gr- Grandpappy and Pops? Uh, well, uh, my grandfather, I didn't really know him particularly well. Um, he and I were supposed to work together. I was hired to do the Cubs in 1997 uh, after uh, on a second try. He and I were going to work together. And uh, sadly, he passed away on or about Valentine's Day in 98. So I went from being the third guy in the booth and the understudy to sitting in his booth in his chair with his partner, his wow. producer, his town, all of that kind of stuff. That's what made the Cubs job uh, uh, so difficult. Um, you know, I, 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 I missed I missed with him the baseball history. Remember, he saw every bat of Stan Musial's career. Uh, he was a confidant and friend of, of Red Shane Beast. Uh, they left Union Station on the trains and went east to go on road trips. He saw Jackie Robinson play in his first week in the major leagues. All of those stories, all of those things, 
uh, that from a baseball encyclopedia standpoint is a broadcaster you crave. Uh, but for me, I, I know very little about him as a human being. I knew he grew up in near Lafayette Square. I knew he was an orphan. His home is still there. Uh, you know, he was a uh, Webster Groves resident. My dad went to Webster Groves High School. Um, but as far as what it was like growing up in the 1920s in St. Louis, you know, he was an orphan. He didn't know his dad. His mom died when he was young. Uh, how did you get the Cardinals job? I mean, it took chutzpah for him to get it. Uh, you know, what were the details of that? Who was your favorite player? Hell, what, what was your favorite ice cream? All, I mean, all of those things that you took for granted and knowing people uh, as family members, I, I never had with him. Uh, with my dad, as I said, it was kind of the same thing. My parents divorced when I was young. I was uh, five or six years old. Uh, I remember my dad backing the car out of the driveway and leaving. And I asked my mom where he was going. And she said, he's going on a long road trip. Uh, I'd see my dad in St. Louis when the Braves would come to town. I had two weeks of visitation a year and would go to Atlanta. And I was a bat boy. Um, and I would go to the ballpark every day and just absorbed it with him. But the most uh, Kevin gratifying moments for my dad came in the latter stages of his life when I could take his luggage to his room on the on the road or sit in the bar and have a drink and, and talk about baseball or buy him dinner or go get his medicine or take him to the doctor. And uh, to his dying day, you know, my dad's health issues were what they were. He never blamed anyone but himself for them, which was a, a wonderful lesson in accountability and responsibility, all of which he always instilled in me. And, uh, you know, the saddest day of my life was when I was in New York doing a TBS game and I got the call that he had passed away at home and had to rush home. And mm. I never really got to say goodbye to him other than the Friday before that final Saturday game. So, uh, you know, my dad was my hero. I uh, love him a lot. Still think of him every single day as we all do who've lost parents. Uh, I think of Harry as well, but not in the same vein because I didn't know him as well. But I sure hope that they're looking down and not up and they're proud of what I'm doing <laughs> and what I'm trying to do at this stage in my life. And Hopefully, I'll do them and the family name proud. Well, that's that's neat. It's uh, touching to listen to you talk about both of them in that way. And and being a baseball broadcaster is not easy on the family because you're on the road so much. Yeah, uh, you have to have a great partner, and my wife Susan has been that. Uh, she basically raised four children half the year by herself. You know, her parents have helped obviously tremendously well, uh, but she's great. We will be married 27 years on uh, April the sixth. And uh, she's as much a part of my success, if not more so than I. There's a great sense of, of pride that I have in uh, what I've been able to accomplish professionally and what I've been able to provide for my family and the wonderful marriage that I've been able to uh, have my, my small part in. Uh, <laughs> but there's also a tremendous amount of guilt because, as I said, you know, your family has to be strong enough to let you follow your dream and do what you love to do, which is this. And uh, the job requires that you're away. And I've missed countless weddings and funerals and birthdays and uh, kids' sicknesses and baseball uh, events. And uh, I've missed all four of my children seeing them walk for the first time because I'm saying ground ball to second in Houston. <laughs> um, and so there's a, there's a tremendous amount of guilt that goes into that. Um, but the fact that I, I know that my adult children are uh, uh, responsible and, and, and uh, secure and confident and, and forging their own paths, and our youngest child, who's our, a bit of our oops, but the greatest gift I've ever had is following in those uh, same footsteps as well, largely because of her, is, is the, the ultimate reward. I don't know if I'll ever make the Hall of Fame in baseball. I really don't think about it. I just hope I make it in, into the Hall of Fame as a husband and father and, and good friend. And I, I'm trying my best to, to put that at the top of the list, not just the, 
the silly baseball stuff because, as we know, baseball's given our family everything, but it's a tiny, tiny part of who we are. Absolutely, and it sounds like you're really on that good road. As we talk with Chip Carey, the new voice of the Cardinals, Chip, how much advice or encouragement, I should say, more so than advice, did your dad give you or possibly at some point your grandpa? <laughs> he in, tried to talk me out of it. Yeah, you know? I was going to say, in getting into this crazy business. Yeah, you know, Harry tricked Dad into to doing the radio with Bob Highland at Camel X, got him a high school radio uh, highlight show, and told all of his bar buddies to call the station and tell Skip how great he did. And my dad puffed <laughs> up and thought, oh, wow, I think I can do this. Uh, for me, I went to Georgia, went to UGA, majored in journalism, uh, but I had a very influential professor there named Dr. William Lee, who taught journalism law. And it was the only B I got in my core classes my last three years. But I was prouder of that B than anything else because it was such an intellectual challenge in matching wits with this guy who argued First Amendment law cases in front of the Supreme Court. And I thought very seriously about going to law school. Um, my maternal grandfather was a dentist in the central West end in St. Louis for 50 years, Dr. Roy Osterkamp. And, uh, he was the kindest and, and most gentle giving man I, I, you know, I've ever been around. And I thought about going to medical school. I was interested in, I love kids, wanted to be a pediatrician perhaps, but then wisdom kicked in and I said, I don't really don't want to be in school for seven more years. And <laughs> I, I didn't do very well in biology. So I said, maybe medicine's not the route I want to go. I can say ground ball. And there's a base hit to left. So that's kind of how the path <laughs> took place. But my dad said, if you want to do something else, believe me, there is no pressure. There is no uh, family obligation that you have to do this. In fact, I'd prefer it in many ways if you didn't. But if you do, you've got to be all in. And if you're all in, I'll be all in. And that's how the process started for me. I see. Well, I, I would tell you this as a, a guy who's in this business forever and a guy who's a lawyer, lawyer as well on the side. I'm glad you didn't go into law too, because that'll drive you crazy. <laughs> the world has enough of them, <laughs> and it'll drive you nuts anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Believe exactly. me, you, you'll like calling a, calling a ball, a ground ball, to second in Houston in the middle of the summer more so than you will trying to argue a motion with a judge. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, I, well, you know, I'm a married man, so I kind of do that anyway. So, so. Well, that's right. So you actually you've refined your skills. Right, exactly. We're fighting the same fight. Chip Carey is our guest. Chip, you came from a world champion just two years ago, a team that uh, had injuries last year, possibly could have repeated. And now you're here with the Cardinals, a team that's a perennial playoff team. How do you see the National League shaping up this year from your perspective? I think we're going to see uh, almost the same number, the same teams getting the playoffs this year as we did last year, uh, which I think in a way is going to be, some fans might say, oh, that's boring. Why are we going through the exercise? But I think that's going to be exciting. Uh, you're right. Atlanta was terrific World Series champion a couple of years ago. They were all banged up and hurt last season. Uh, I think the Braves are going to win the East. Uh, had the injuries to Reese Hoskins and Edward Diaz not happened, I might have might have changed that prediction. Uh, but I think the Braves are going to have the best team, and I think they have the capital and the players locked up long term to go ahead and win that division. I think the Cardinals will win the Central. I think the Brewers will. Uh, have trouble handling the Cardinals' flexibility and uh, the interchangeable parts that uh, Mo and, and Ollie are going to have at their disposal. Uh, losing Wainwright for opening day is a disappointment. I know he was looking forward to his seventh opening day start. And the Cardinals seemingly pull a rabbit out of their hats every year at the trade deadline if they need to. I'm really encouraged with how Jack Flaherty has thrown the ball this spring. If he can be a number one type guy, that's a big, big lift for this team because that's what they need in a postseason matchup. And then out west, you've got the Dodgers and the Padres uh, fighting for the supremacy of the National League West. Uh, don't count out Arizona, by the way. They're going to be a fun team with a lot of young players. But uh, I think Cardinals have as good a chance as anybody. Look, you, your goal is to get in the tournament. How you get in is is not really important as to that you get in because, as we saw last year with the Phillies, 
Uh, they knocked off the Braves and went off, went on to the World Series. Uh, can the Cardinals do that? Yeah, I think absolutely they can. They remind me a lot of the 2021 Braves. They're young, they're hungry, they're excited. The, the, the early knockout in the playoffs last year, I think, left a sour taste in some guys' mouths, especially with Yachty and Albert retiring and, and going out the way that they did. Uh, the WBC, I think, is going to help Arenado and Goldschmidt get off the torrid starts. At least that's our hope. And uh, if that happens, uh, look, I think it's going to be a fun summer of baseball in St. Louis, and hopefully it goes deep into October. And, you know, I have one World Series ring. I, I'd like to get greedy and get another. And what better <laughs> way to do it than your first year with a new team? Uh, and with a team that has the carry legacy written all over it as well. You know, in, in the way baseball is structured today from a financial standpoint, it's very difficult to maintain – uh, a sort of a dynasty. The Yankees, of course, did it in the 90s into the 2000s. The Astros are in the midst of that kind of a run right now. Perhaps the Braves will be, too, if they win another one. Uh, but it's very difficult to hold the teams together, isn't it? It is, uh, but player development's the key. Look, there are two teams that have uh, not had a losing season in 15 straight years, and we just saw them play yesterday, the Yankees and the Cardinals. Uh, that's why I said before, Kevin, about how the Braves and Cardinals are so similar. Uh, there were two men that were instrumental in player development that are no longer with us. Uh, everybody knows George Kissel with the Cardinals and how great he was in developing players. And that's been passed down to uh, so many guys throughout uh, you know, the major league, major league systems, including Joe McEwing, who's come back and was a big disciple of Mr. Kissel's in Atlanta. It was Jim Beecham and Bobby Deuce. Uh, those two guys helped form, helped form the Braves way of playing with Bobby Cox as well. That's the lifeblood. When you have young players coming through your system, and replenishing that fountain of youth, as it were, uh, it makes it a lot easier for your club to be competitive year after year. And the Cardinals have a terrific farm system. Look at what you've seen uh, in spring training this year with Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker. Those two guys are knocking at the door. I don't know if Walker's going to make the team or not, but he's done everything possible to force the Cardinals' hand. People have made the Albert Pujols comparison 20-some-odd years ago. Uh, I wasn't here for that, so I can't comment. All I know is that Jordan's a very impressive player. He's an even more impressive young man. And the same is true of Mason Wynn. And when you get players like that coming up, it gives you a ton of flexibility with guys that are already established major leaguers if, as I said, you need to make a change and, and, and supplement your roster with another organization's talent. So uh, the Cardinals, I think, are uniquely well-positioned. They're going to be good every year. The fans demand it. They demand excellence, and they demand that kind of consistency. And uh, kudos to the front office and kudos to management for uh, for making that happen and bringing in guys like, like Wilson Contreras. That's, that's, a, you know, that's a big ask, and they brought him in here because they wanted to improve the team. So um, uh, big kudos to them, and, and that's uh, going to be key to the Cardinals' success this year, that fountain of youth and that churn that we're going to see. And, how many more kids can get, be developed and drafted and get here as soon as possible? You know, just about everybody puts that can't miss on Walker. He's played as high as double-A, but he hasn't played triple-A. And I know that right. you've seen so many players who've made the jump through your career. How difficult have you seen it to be for a guy to come from double-A to the major league level and, and be successful? Well my, right away? well, my only experience is Atlanta. And I'll say this. It was pretty easy for Acuna. It was pretty easy for Michael Harris, who won the Rookie of the Year last year. It was pretty easy for Spencer Strider. Uh, if you're talented and you're good, your stuff will play. And I think teams are finding that out, that we can get guys up here quicker. Uh, it benefits our team. And, and obviously, if guys win Rookie of the Year awards, there's financial benefits for the players. And there's compensation in the form of draft picks for the organizations who reward their systems and get those guys up here faster rather than playing the, the Chris Bryant arbitration-style games. Uh, look, there's always an adjustment. It's not going to be easy. This is a tough game even for guys as accomplished as Arenado and Goldschmidt. They'll have moments where they struggle. They're going to. 
but you have to have the patience to ride through it. I remember Bobby Cox in Atlanta had a player named Kelly Johnson who went four for 42 in his first eight or 10 major league games. And he came to the clubhouse one day and said to the manager, looking over his shoulder, and Bobby came up to him and said, you're my second baseman. You can hit, go play. And I think he ended up hitting 290 that year, something yeah. like that. Uh, if you have the patience and you have the courage to be patient, as Clint Hurdle once said, uh, you're often rewarded because ultimately these players will show their talent once they relax and get acclimated. Uh, these are exciting times for uh, guys like Jordan Walker. As I yeah. said, I don't know if he's going to make the team. He's got six or five or six more games to prove that he belongs. Uh, but he's certainly done his part. And whether there's a roster spot left for him, well, that's up to Mo and his staff and, and uh, Ollie and his staff as well. But we're all hopeful and optimistic and really, really proud of what he's been able to do so far. You know, you remind me of a story that Leo DeRocher told about Willie Mays. When Willie Mays first came to the Giants, he was 0 for his first 20. And he yeah. struck out a number of times, and he was in the locker room crying. And DeRocher walked over to him and said, what's the matter? He said, I don't know if I can play at this level. And DeRocher said, you're my center fielder and you're batting third. That's all you need to know. There you go. And the rest, of course, look, is history. Whether it's a baseball player or a broadcaster or husbands, you know, a prickler, we all go through those moments of self-doubt. And what the Cardinals have talked about, and Ali has talked about specifically in this camp, is, look, it's great when a guy goes three for four. It's how does he handle going 0 for four, and then 0 for four again, and then 0 for four after that. Does he still do the work? Does he still put in the, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the study? Does he change his approach? How does he handle the pressure? And look, Spring training is not regular season baseball. It's not. It's this is you guys are working on stuff. They're going to throw pitches and counts that you're not going to see in in games that matter. But still, it's it's illustrative of what the makeup is. Because look, these guys are all here because we all know they can play. It's what's the makeup, what's the character, what's the foundation, how do they handle adversity, how do they handle the good times, and those are all things that you have to learn in a very short short span of time. And that's why everybody who's been around this game any time at all says. You really have to struggle if you're going to believe what you see in March and what you believe in September. Because when the when the games count, when the men are separated from the boys in April through uh, September, that's what really, really matters. So, again, we'll see. I'm optimistic for the kid. I hope he makes it. I know he's the talk of the town. And uh, as a Decatur, Georgia kid, I'm rooting for him from that standpoint, too. And, and uh, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see what happens here. We've got the next game on TV on Saturday, hopefully a decision or maybe a decision will be forthcoming or a little closer or more in focus by then. Well, it's my birthday Saturday, so I'll root for him to get his good news on my birthday, and that way we'll both There you remember. go. Happy birthday. It'd be perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Chip, before I let you go, uh, it's a great thrill for a ball player, of course, to reach the, the pinnacle, to become a world champion, and that moment is so wonderful. You've experienced it as a broadcaster. Tell us what the high was for you at that moment when you knew that you were calling a World Series winner. Well, it wasn't so much the World Series. I, I got to tell you, I, my career is kind of like Marty Brenneman's. Marty Brenneman's first major league game, uh, I think his second or third hitter was Hank Aaron tying Babe Ruth. It's the <laughs> home run in Cincinnati. And Joe Nuxall leans over to him in between innings and says, how in the hell are you going to top that? And Marty <laughs> said, I really have no idea. For me, the pinnacle one I felt like I belonged was my very first major league game, 1991. The, the Braves were hosting uh, the L.A. Dodgers. And Vince Scully obviously knew my grandfather and knew my dad and knew that I was working with the late, great Ernie Johnson that day. And Vinny, at the old ballpark, there was a, a plexiglass partition between the two booths. And uh, we taped our open, and we were coming back from break, and we had another commercial before first pitch where I did the lineups, did the umpires, did the weather, and said, we'll be right back with the first pitch right after this. I took off my headset, and I just kind of looked around. And just was just in shock, you know, in awe. And unbeknownst to me, Vince Scully had been standing behind me in the booth and listened to what I did. 
He walked down the steps in the adjacent booth, again, clear plexiglass, with a cup of coffee, and he taps on the glass with his Hall of Fame ring, tap, tap, tap. <laughs> and I look around, and, I, and he tapped again, and I look to my left, and it's Vin Scully with a big smile on his face. Vin Scully, the Shakespeare of baseball. And he mouths the words that I've never forgotten. He said, welcome to the club. I love it. And when you talk about a 26-year-old kid who's trying to find his own way with his dad in the booth, three booths down, his grandfather probably watching, and Vin Scully took the time to welcome <laughs> this kid into his fraternity, and he didn't have to do it. You talk about feeling 10 feet tall. I've uh, never forgotten that. And uh, anytime a guy gets a job, that's kind of my standard stolen line from Vin Scully that I give him. Welcome to the club. So that's my that's my favorite baseball broadcasting moment, other than, of course, working with my dad and grandfather and all that stuff, which everybody knows about. But but that's my baseball story. First game, Vin Scully welcomed me with open arms, and, and uh, I'm really, really eternally grateful for that. That's a pretty darn good one. And, of course, the historical moment when you worked with your dad and your grandpa, even though you didn't get to do it for the whole season with your grandpa in Chicago, that moment of being all three of you together was, was I'll never forget it myself, and I wasn't part of it. Yeah, I, I sure as hell wish I wouldn't contact that day. That was a bad day. It was a bad glass. But, uh, but it was fun. Yeah, that was fun. It's one of those things that uh, as time goes on, it, it seemed like such a blur. And as I said, I was 26, 27 years old, whatever the heck I was. You don't appreciate that in the moment. You're, for, you know, you're forever young, right? You know, you don't realize that you're immortal for a limited time. And, uh, you know, knowing what my grandfather came from now, knowing what he went through being Harry Carey's son in St. Louis, knowing the journey that I was choosing to take and following Skip Carey in Atlanta. I mean, all of those family things were at, at play in that, in that magical moment. And, uh, you know, in the infancy stages of my career, I was just hoping to hang on and figure this out and make my own way. I, I never felt like I was, uh, you know, a made guy. Um, but I, I, I was, you know, just along for the ride. It was more a moment for my dad and especially for my grandfather who didn't really have a semblance or understanding of what family was about. And to uh, work with me, even in a limited way, to uh, work with his son, who he knew intimately, uh, but to see his legacy carry on. I mean, there was no greater source of, of paternal pride for him because that was the one thing that was absent in his entire life was that kind of uh, you know generational thing. Uh, he never experienced that. So for him to experience it on, on that one day, I, I know was a thrill of a lifetime for him and uh, again, I was a very small part of it and uh, something I'll never forget. Well, you got to carry on the Kerry legacy in Atlanta. Now you get to carry on the Kerry legacy here in St. Louis. Vin Scully welcomed you to the original club, your dad to the Braves club, and I'll welcome you to the Cardinals club. Welcome to the club, yeah, Chip, thanks. and we're, we're glad to have you here. You're very kind. I appreciate it. It's been uh, my family and I are really overwhelmed with how uh, kind everyone's been. And like I said, I just hope to, uh, to validate the trust that's been shown in me by the DeWitts and Valley Midwest and the fans. Uh, you know, to, to be in that fraternity with Jack Buck and Jay Randolph and Ron Jacober and Mike Shannon and Mike Claiborne and Joe Buck, uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's truly humbling. It's truly exciting. And as I said, I can't wait to get started. Well, congrats again. We're glad to have you here. We're lucky as Cardinal fans to be able to listen to your calls every single night. Chip, thanks for the time. I know I kept you long, but it was enjoyable. Kevin, thanks so much. We'll see you at the ballpark. You All sound, you can count on that. We'll talk to you later. All right, brother. Thank bye you. Bye bye now. It's Chip Carey, the new voice of the Cardinals. Uh, interesting stories, interesting personal stories, great stuff. And uh, we'll take a break, and we'll come back. Our phone lines are open, 636-538-0746. Join us uh, on the flip side. The Wiz kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. 
Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning, Hank Aaron was beginning, one Robbie going out, one coming in. Kiner and Midget Goodell, the Thumper and Mel Parnell, and Ike was the only one winning down in Washington. I'm talking baseball, Lazuski Campanella, talking baseball, the man and Bobby Feller, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Duke. They knew them all from Boston to Welcome you back in. Kevin Slayton with you on this Friday morning, Friday morning, rainy morning all over the Midwest. But we're glad to have you with us, and we're glad to have Chip Carey uh, on as the newest voice of the Cardinals. And he will be carrying on the great legacy of his grandpa. His dad did a little bit of Cardinal stuff, too. But, boy, uh, some very introspective uh, viewpoints from Chip, and it was fun to listen to him and kind of take a stroll down memory lane because I enjoyed his grandfather ultimately the best and his father as well. Dave is up first. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Kevin, I'm doing very well. I would like to say, I hope you have one of the greatest birthdays tomorrow that you've ever had. Well, I appreciate that very much. I'm counting on having a great one. Uh, I never mind birthdays. People always say, well, I stopped counting birthdays when I reached a certain age. Well, you know, I'm 94 and I still count them. I would sing to you, but I'm afraid uh, listeners would drop off immensely and we don't want that we want to get you to number one status <laughs> no we'll 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 stay with the harmonica version <laughs> <laughs> hey kevin if i could comment on uh, actually not only the carries but the bucks and the kellys now while granted these guys were assisted in getting in the door they've all done a phenomenal job 
and made a name for themselves. Kevin, I haven't listened to Cardinal baseball since Dan McLaughlin's been here, and I and I pray for the gentleman. I hope he, I hope he does well. I always thought he was a crappy broadcaster, but personally, I hope he is takes care of himself, and I hope he can beat these demons that the poor guy's been suffering with. I quit listening to Cardinal baseball on the radio when, unfortunately, Jack Buck died. I may tune in and watch TV just simply because of Chip Carey. Uh, he's done his grandfather and his father well, as Jack Buck has, Dan, uh, uh, John Kelly has. So while these guys had help getting there, they've made names for themselves. And I think we're truly blessed, Kevin, to have those guys like that. And I tell you all the time, not to kiss your ass, but you were in that room with, with the Bucks, the Carries, the Kellys, uh, yourself. Well, I appreciate that very much. Those are walking in tall cotton kind of names. And uh, I was lucky enough to grow up with Harry Carey, Jack Buck, Bob Starr, Dan Kelly, uh, in a city to have all of those Hall of Fame broadcasters at one time. It's almost unheard of. It's probably never been – it's never happened anywhere, not even in New York or Los Angeles. But here we had four of them. And to be able to grow up and love with what I was going to do for a living and follow in their footsteps to have those iconic voices, it, it was tremendous. Absolutely. Kevin, if I could throw another one in there, I'm sure you'll agree. Bill Wilkerson. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Bill as a analyst more so than a play-by-play guy. But the other guys are Hall of Famers. I mean, Bill Wilkerson's oh. really good. The other guys are Hall absolutely. of Famers. No, no, a- a- absolutely. I'm going to cut it short, my friend, again. I hope you have a great birthday, uh, and I'll talk to you Monday. Thank you, Kevin. Have a great one. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate the call. And Jay Randolph, too. Right now. Jay Randolph's a, a – shoot, Jay started out – see, Jay didn't start out here, though. Jay started out in Dallas calling the Cowboy games, and he's from West Virginia where he called West Virginia games. But his big break came calling the, the uh, Cowboy games. And he was the voice of the Cowboys for many moons before he came to St. Louis. But people don't recognize Bob Starr as much because – he achieved most of his greatness after he left here, but he was the voice of the Big Red here. He did Cardinal baseball as a fill-in when needed, and he did blues hockey as a fill-in when needed. He was very versatile. And when he went to Los Angeles, he took the job not just as the Angels play-by-play guy, but the Rams as well. So he did Rams and Angels for decades. He's always been one of my favorites. And I was gratified to learn, I probably told this story before, years later that uh, Bob Starr's son called the show one day, when I was talking about his father, and he's very grateful, but he, he told me, he said, I just want you to know that my dad thought the same of you. And that meant the world to me, coming from a guy that I respected so much, Bob Starr. But I'll tell you what, if you go back and Google some of the games he called, there there were if there were guys that were better, I always say those great guys are tied for first. Nobody's better. A lot of guys are worse. And then Kurt, I um, can't think of his name now, Kurt... Um, Oh, he wrote the book, uh, Voices of the Game. And that book came alive with the Voices of the Game, the greats that we'll never hear from again. You heard Chip say that it's completely different today calling a baseball game, and it is. They don't want the fun guys. They don't want the passionate guys. It's it's amazing. why. If I owned a team and if I was a sponsor, that's exactly what I'd want. I would want Harry Carey selling my beer if I ran Budweiser if I was the marketing team at Budweiser. And you know what? Even after Harry had that tremendous falling out with the Bush family, tremendous falling out, to where when he left the Cardinals after they fired him, 
He was over at Bush's Grove doing an interview on Channel 5 with Ron Jacober holding a can of Schlitz beer. You talk about the ultimate middle finger to the brewery. But when Harry got to Chicago as the Cubs voice, he was so popular because of his style and because of his fan-friendly nature that Anheuser-Busch hired him and made him a gazillionaire to push Budweiser beer in Chicago where Bud wasn't that big. Homestyle beer or whatever they called that crap that they had in Chicago, that and old Milwaukee, those were the big beers. But Harry himself made Budweiser the king of beers in Chicago. And you can imagine how lucrative that was to the brewery. And give credit to the brewery. They recognized it. Let's put aside the personal issues. This is the guy that can make us money. It's a business decision. It's We're not trying to please little Johnny down there in the mailroom. We're trying to please the stockholders. We're trying to make money. It's a business. And so Harry was hired as their voice. And boy, did he do a good job of that. Remember, he was the bud guy. He was tremendous. They don't make him very often like Harry. And it's tough uh, for Chip. I think Chip's toughest job would be to walk in the the shadows of Harry and his dad, especially since he followed his dad into the booth in Atlanta. Most guys don't have the courage to do that. They'll work in the same business, but they'll work somewhere else because they don't want the unending comparisons. In a lot of ways, that would be tough. There's been enough space between Harry working here, though, now and Chip taking over. But I'm anxious to listen to his games when they matter. The exhibition games, of course, just aren't the same. But it's going to be a lot of fun. Our phone lines are open for you, 636-538-0746, 538-0746. I was glad to hear him point out the success of Atlanta players who jumped from AA to, to the major leagues quickly because Walker is an unknown at this point. Everybody's excited about him, but he's unknown. Unknown quantity. Can go either way. I never like the comparisons. I never like it when people start saying, well, he's the next so-and-so. It's unfair on a player who's never done anything. You know, football, that's the next Joe Montana. That's the next Tom Brady. Well, how about you let the kid just be who he is until he seeks his own level of competence and his own identity a little bit to figure out who he is. I mean, these are 22-year-old kids. In Walker's case, we don't know how old he is because he's from Latin America. So we have no idea. But um, it was interesting listening to the family history. And it is a tough business when you're traveling 80 games a year plus spring training. And some of those guys will do, I I don't know if Chip does, but some of those guys will do basketball in the offseason. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm well, Mr. Slayton. Hey, happy birthday. Have a great, amazing weekend. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, they're they're, – my mom always made birthdays special. Um, I remember once when I might have been nine, eight or nine, and my little sister did a um, scavenger hunt to find it because I was such a rotten kid. I was one of the present. It was like 9 a.m. We always did presents after dinner, after dessert, sing happy birthday, and then you get presents. <laughs> <laughs> and my, she gave it. And they've always been a big deal, and they are a big deal. You know, it's great. You're around another year, and yeah, you have fun. And, it, it's your day. Christmas yeah. is for everybody. Thanksgiving is for everybody. Easter is for everybody. But it's your day when it's your birthday. And so it's kind of fun. It is. What a great month to have it in to, with uh, <clears throat> St. Patrick's Day. That yeah. Is, that well, is I've always said that my birthday, uh, it can be any weather 
any kind you would think of. I've had it snow on my birthday. I've had it 75 degrees on my birthday. I've had it crappy like it's going to be tomorrow. I've had sunshine. I mean, I've had it all. Yeah, I guess you have. That's pretty amazing. March, March is a very, very uh, – it's kind of like Sybil. It's got about 16 personalities. It's very fickle, that's for sure. Hey, what a great interview. Once again, you knocked out of the park. And um, I've listened to Chip a few times for out of, you know, when he was doing Braves, even Chicago. And um, he's no, he, he is fun to listen to because he tells you the game. He doesn't talk about what he did last weekend or his cousin or what somebody else did. And I love it. He, he's got a business mentality about the game. He calls it is. He's not going to try and be these guys' buddies. I mean, that was going on way too much. They would go on this last group, and you wouldn't know what they were talking about. And the game, there might be a three-run home run in the middle of their stupid conversation. So I'm looking forward to hearing him. And just like the last caller, I had given up and quit listening and watching the game. It's like you said uh, in his book, his strength is when the ball's in play. So it's pretty exactly, And that should be the strength of all play-by-play guys. I noticed he didn't say, um – he didn't say, I mean, before no. he made a statement. Yeah, he's very well spoken. Very well spoken. He sounded like the guy interviewing him as well. So oh, I appreciate that. Well, um, we um, appreciate um. you. I hope you know that. It sounds like you're getting your accolades, and hopefully you get thousands thousand more listeners, and you're on many, many more years. God bless, and have a great weekend, sir. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate those words very much. You're welcome. My Thank pleasure. You. Bye-bye. Have a great weekend yourself. Man, it's nice. Nice, uh, nice words from people that I greatly appreciate. Well, we're getting ready to wrap it up here. It has, from the moment anyway, stopped raining. But uh, I don't think it's going to stop for very long. So get your wet gear together. No golf this weekend, folks. But we'll be back at it fighting the good fight again for you on Fri- on Monday. This is Friday. Saturday Eve is upon us. I love this day. And I will enjoy myself on my birthday. I'll have a, a toast to the show and to all of you wonderful folks who have made us, have put us, where we are, f- top 5% worldwide, 3 million podcasts, and we're right there with them. Thank you so much. We're back fighting the good fight for you, though, on Monday, right here in the Window World King's Court on KevinSlaytonShow.com. Love you, Mom. Love you, Dad. Love you, Maureen. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you back here Monday.